I'm here with Felicity Callard, who's the chair of the Network Advisory Group of this very exciting new network. Um, and you did a talk just a few minutes ago, Felicity, that went down really well in the room, talking about your work, talking about your own lived experience, talking about the fact that this network has to listen to the voices of the people who are hidden currently, who experience domestic violence and abuse. How are we going to go about doing that? I think for me, the most important thing is that if, if we accept, which I think is incontestable, that violence and abuse is about differences in power, the people who experience violence and abuse are then necessarily with less power. And that manifests in all sorts of ways. And one of the ways it manifests is how do you then ensure that those experiences can be made visible and taken seriously and really treated as traumatic and having all sorts of other consequences. And I think that a lot of the methods that we currently have don't actually really find or address or work with the voices and the theories and the models um, and the contributions of, of people who have the most to offer, which are the people who have experienced violence and abuse, whether it's um, in the home, whether it's through experiences of the psychiatric system, whether it's forms of racist violence. Um, basically, our, our systems of knowledge, our traditional research methods, they're, they're not that good at actually getting at any of that. And the fact that we're excluding women from so much research and that we don't have services which are gender-specific, mm. there's a lot of work to be done here, isn't there? What, how, how do you think this network is going to kind of prioritise what's required and make sure that it has impact in the short time that it's being funded for? I think, for me, the most crucial question is how are you actually going to figure out who is currently not represented in the network? Mm. Um, because some of the most profound effects of violence, of course, then render the people who've experienced them just inv invisible. Um, and so how do you actually build up enough connections uh, with individuals, communities, to actually bring those absolutely crucial voices into the work of the network and also to disrupt the work of the network and, and one of the things I was trying to emphasise in the talk is that I think some of the most powerful theories of violence that we have are from feminist theory, from people who've trans people who've made violence against trans people absolutely visible in a way in which it wasn't before or if we think about the work of the psychiatrist Franz Fanon who stunning accounts of colonial violence and the way in which it manifests both in victims and in perpetrators. But all those kinds of knowledges are not currently part of general accounts of, of, of or kind of standard, maybe standard social scientific and health accounts of, of violence and abuse. So, yes, for me, it's, that's the task of how do you ensure that those kind of radical insights and perspectives can be brought into the network yeah absolutely having the right people involved well one very very simple image that i had tonight was the fact that there are only half a dozen men in this room mm -hmm. um so what's going on there yeah i was also very i was very struck by that and i was very struck by the fact that so many of us speaking um are white 
um, which again, I think if you're going to get to grips with the effects of, of violence and abuse, given that it's so disproportionately experienced by people who are racialized, um, I mean, that needs to be a sort of crucial thing for the network to think about. I mean, there, there was, it was certainly was not all a white audience, but it felt a kind of, the, the, lots of the voices were, me included, very, very white. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a bit about what's happening initially in these early stages, because there's a survey that's online at the moment that people can contribute to that's going to start to prioritise some of the questions, and the PIN Foundation are organising that. Yes, and again, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on how that survey has been put together. Um, and it's great that there is that stage of evidence gathering. Um, I'm also thinking, just in terms of the other surveys that I've been involved in online, um, you just always have to wrestle with the fact that who you're actually capturing <laughs> by doing an online survey um, so I think it's, it's a great start and then always then the question of who, who have we not actually reached or the people who would never actually even see the survey or want to give information through an online survey um, again because if we think that so much of the, the difficulty around violence and abuse is that sort of sense of risk, the, the profound risk of, of disclosing and providing accounts of what has happened to one. You have to trust that that, that evidence, that testimony, is going to be held and used appropriately. Um, and I think that, you know, as someone who is a social scientist, I mean, often surveys are not necessarily trusted by everyone as being able to sort of hold the, the information that's that's given and given that this is um, a three or four year project I forget um, some of these networks are three years and others are four years I think Louise was saying there's about £300,000 available mm. for research projects over the course of it um, what would you like to see, what sorts of questions, what kinds of research would you like to see get funded? I think I'm particularly interested in, in how you advance methods um, and again so social scientists we're, we, you know, we're very used to developing surveys, prevalence interviews but I think that other disciplines and other practitioners and other forms of expertise can add hugely to the ways in which we actually gather evidence about violence so for me you know having suddenly having fundamentally having the the perspectives and the expertise of people who have used mental health services and the various methods of gathering testimony and folding testimony in in a way that often social science doesn't do that well um and i think that a lot of artists um there's an enormously rich archive of yeah, artistic practices and artistic methods that can actually elicit and work with um, providing new ways of, of thinking about the, the effects of abuse and violence. So for me, that's, that's one of the things I'm most interested in because I think often, often when we have a kind of multidisciplinary project, the kind of the standard thing to do is, you know, you, you have clinical researchers, you maybe have a couple of sociologists and you have a couple of people who, who represent um, the, kind of the, the voices of lived experience. And I think one of the things that the network can really do is sort of shake up that model 
and put people in the room together who are much more kind of radically divergent in how they approach the question, what they think needs to be thought about, the tools they use, the forms of evidence they use. So mm. that surely is the point of funding these these interdisciplinary networks. You actually do something really differently um, rather than just fund another multidisciplinary project. Thank you.